You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, before we consider the text before us, I, um, I want to say a couple of words about uh, spiritual warfare, and especially this. I, I cannot remember a time uh, in my 13 years serving you as pastor that uh, that the homes of our own congregation have been under such severe spiritual distress uh, that they have been directly, as far as I can tell, directly attacked by the devil himself. And, and attacked in this sort of insidious way. You know, it's not like uh, this, some arsonist has gone around and, and lit our homes on fire. In some ways, that would be even better because everyone can see, oh, Your home's on fire. All your stuff is burned. Let's help. But the way the devil does his work in darkness is that he puts all of the fighting, you know, behind closed doors in places of shame so that it doesn't come out. Now, some of you think, oh, pastor is thinking about me. And it could be true, but I'm also thinking about the person next to you. I mean, I'm saying that this attack seems widespread. And the devil who roars around like a, a, a roaring, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for whom he can devour seems just to have wandered to, to Macon Street, wandered to our neighborhoods, wandered into our homes. Now, I, I want to speak directly to this with a couple of things. And the first is this, that we should remember that in all of our afflictions, in all of our distresses, and in all of our troubles, we are being attacked by the devil himself. He is the enemy. We do not fight against flesh and blood, says St. Paul, but against powers and principalities, the heavenly forces in the air. Your fight is not in your home. That's not where the fight is. Your fight is not with your parents or with your children, or with your husband, or with your wife, with your neighbor, with the person next to you. Your fight is with the devil. He is the enemy. The one who loves darkness more than light. The one that Jesus says comes to kill and steal and to destroy. That is who you are fighting against. So that's the first point. Remember Remember that. And the second point is that we fight against him by prayer. St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we should take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times. We fight, we stand watch, we do our spiritual guard duty when we pray. Now, now, a couple of things on this, because some of you... I mean, some of you, it was just enough to get to church today. You, you are really in crisis mode. Some of you are not even here. You're listening to the recording on the Internet because you couldn't make it to church this morning. And you don't know how to pray. Now, now, if you are sitting there saying, well, things seem pretty peaceful for us, then you especially have a job to pray for the people and for the homes who are distressed. To you belongs the work of intercession. 
that we, you see how this goes? That when we are, are at the end of our own, kind of at our wit's end, and we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray, we in fact don't know what to do, we're just trying to make it day by day, that you, who are in that situation, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are right here and who love you and who care about you and who are praying for you. So if you don't know that this, this stress that I'm talking about, I would like to especially appeal to you to take up this work of intercessory prayer. Uh, Paul writes to the uh, Colossians, and he writes about uh, Epaphras. He says he's one of you. He was, so he was a he was from Colossae, and he was traveling around with Paul. And he wrote back to the Colossians, and he says Epaphras, who's one of you, labors for you restlessly in his prayers. And perhaps just more than any other time than I've ever known, uh, you need the restless prayers of your own brothers and sisters. And your brothers and sisters in Christ need your restless prayers for them. And in this we hear that the devil who, roars, who, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom we, he can devour, we hear the conclusion of that. The scriptures say, resist him and he will flee from you. There is... Now, let me say this. I'm going to give you this promise from the Scriptures. There is relief coming for you. The Lord will not always chide. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is slow to anger, quick with mercy, abounding in loving kindness. Jesus loves you. And He has delivered you to this momentary affliction so that His glory might be revealed in you. Relief is coming. So pray. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with our text. <laughs> so we'll turn our, well, maybe it will by the end, but we, we want to turn our attention there as well and hear what Jesus has to say about this. Some people consider it a parable, but it, Jesus doesn't say that this is a parable. He al almost, in fact, gives it to us as a history, this history of Lazarus and the rich man and there's so many things to consider in this text. I mean, there's, there's 20 or 25 sermons just on the doctrines in the text. But I would like to consider it especially with this context. So I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 16, verse 14. Five verses before the text. Luke says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and derided Jesus. And Jesus, verse 15, says to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I think that it's good for us to consider that all of us, in one way or another, are engaged in an argument. We're, we're, that is to say, we're trying to make the case for something. This doesn't mean that we're yelling back and forth all the time, although sometimes it erupts, the arguments that we're making erupt in violence, but sometimes they're peaceful. We're just making a case, and we're arguing against everyone and everything, and we're arguing oftentimes something very specific. We're, we are, with our own words, with our own thoughts, with our own deeds, making an argument that I am worth something. We're making the argument that I am good. 
We're, we're making the argument that we are worthy or that we have purpose or that our life has meaning or that I'm important or something like that. And we're always trying to prove that case to anyone who will listen. Now, it, oftentimes we, we're deceiving ourselves and we, in fact, we know it and the game is up, but we still go about this business of trying to make the argument of our own worth or our own value to the world. I was this week, uh, this was a weird thing. I was, uh, I was going from one visit to another and instead of being late, like I almost always am, I was in fact early, unheard of. And so I pulled over to get a cup of coffee, which ended up making me late to the next visit. So I was back on track. So I pulled over and I got a cup of coffee and I, I was sitting there on the patio of the coffee shop. I was kind of checking email and this guy walked up who looked like he might be open to conversation. And so I asked him, I, I try to work on questions to ask people, ask strangers to, you know, have these spiritual conversations. And the question that I'm working with now is, if you could ask God one thing, what would you ask him? So this guy sat down and I said, hey, you, are you busy? I got a question for you. I, I'm just researching this question a little bit. Do you mind if I ask? And if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. And he said, sure, yeah, go ahead. And I said, well, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And uh, so then we talked for an hour <laughs> uh, and I was late. That's how that goes. But the question, I think the question that he, he couldn't articulate it quite, we, we worked on his question together and we couldn't quite get there, but it was a, it was a question of meaning. It was something like, I've been doing the same, I, I've been doing the same thing for, for dozens of years. I've had the same job. I go to the, I drive the same car. I go to the same place. I do the same, you know, I, I type the same numbers in the same spreadsheets. I go and I watch the same TV shows and it says, it just seems to me like there's not a, meaning in life or purpose in life. There's nowhere where this thing is going. Just It's like a treadmill and I'm, I'm on the treadmill and, it's, and I'm not running any faster. Just sitting there. Same place, walking along. And, and we reflected on that and, and I reflected on it some afterwards and I realized what he was trying to say was that I think that my life should make an argument that I sh- I'm here for a reason, that I have a purpose, that I have meaning, that my life is bigger than myself, and I have simply, by my own life, by my own work, by my own actions, failed to make that case, even to myself. That I think that I ought to justify myself before my family, before the world, to my own conscience, and I have failed. And I wonder if that's not a strange or a familiar sensation for all of us. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, you are those who justify yourself before men. You are those who are busy trying to make the case that you are worth something, that you are important, that you have meaning and purpose and value in life. You're busy building that case. And not only does Jesus say that that is a failed, that they fail to convince people, they they fail to justify themselves, but Jesus is going to criticize even the attempt to do so. 
You see, we're all in an argument trying to argue our own value and our own worth. And some of us have succeeded. Some of us have failed. Some of us are somewhere in the middle. Some of us have put on a good show, but we know that the whole thing has been a sham. Some of us might have actually accomplished something good in this world, but the point is not that you've won that argument or that you've lost the argument, but that you're having the argument at all. That you, tr- that you are trying to make a case for yourself, that you are like these Pharisees and like everyone else, that you are trying to build the argument of your own worth. That argument, that case, whether you win it or whether you lose it, ends in the same place. It ends with the rich men in the torments of hell. It ends with sinners suffering God's Wrath. Now, the Holy Spirit then, for us, wants to have us take a good look at ourselves at our pride that thinks that we've succeeded in making this argument of self-justification or in our despair, which thinks that we've failed to make the argument of our own self-justification. The Holy Spirit wants to wants us to look at ourselves and say that all of it is a failure. That we cannot justify ourselves. That the whole track of making this argument ends in destruction. But he wants us to see how... Uh, how addicted our own sinful flesh is to engaging in the argument. You know that you've, there's been times when you know that someone, uh, this is how we say it, I think, right? You, you say, boy, that person really knows how to push my buttons. <laughs> right? Is that, we say that. That means that I know that this person is gonna, is gonna rope me into an argument that I do not want to have. <laughs> I know that I should be above it, that I should be out of the fray, that I should not be in, uh, incited into fighting with them, but they know how to push my butt, and they just say just the right thing, or they do just the right thing, and then I can hardly help myself. I have to jump in and fight. Well, the devil knows how to push your buttons, how to push the buttons of your sinful flesh, how to get you back into making the argument that you're worth something. And the most common way he does it, at least according to the text here, and according to the preaching of Jesus, the most common way that he does it is putting us in the rat race of success. I mean, just just to compare these two guys, Lazarus and the rich man, right? Here's the rich man who, who dresses in fine linen. He's got all the fancy clothes. He's got all the fancy food. He fares sumptuously. He... He eats, there's so much food, lavish food at his table that there's enough to feed poor people from the garbage. He's got a four-wheel drive chariot. <laughs> a five-chariot garage or whatever. He's got friends around all the time. And if you were to say in any sort of way, who has had success, who's an important person, you would point to this guy. And Lazarus, on the other hand, he doesn't have, he doesn't have nice clothes. He's covered in sores. He doesn't have friends. He has dogs licking the pus out of his sores. That's disgusting. Now, that's your brother, your fellow Christian Lazarus. 
He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a full belly feasting sumptuously. He's, he's longing for the scraps. Like a dog or a pig. If, if there was anyone who had succeeded in making the argument that they're worth something, it would be the rich man. And if there's anyone who had failed in making the argument, it's Lazarus. But Jesus looks at things differently. God, your Father, looks at things differently. He looks at you differently. And He looks at your neighbor differently. Remember how Jesus said it. God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. God doesn't care about the rich man's clothes. He doesn't care about the rich man's food, his house, his friends, his party. He cares about his heart. He cares about his faith. He cares about his ears, whether Moses and the prophets had found a place in his mind and in his conscience. That's what God cares about. He doesn't care about all of your attempts to justify yourself before humanity. It's all, in fact, not only does he not care about it, he doesn't like it. It is an abomination to him. It's disgraceful. He knows that when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these other things will be added to you. But we are here chasing after all of these other things. The Lord looks at Lazarus. And he's not put off by the dogs. He's not put off by the sores. He's not put off by the poverty. He's not put off by the the filth, by the dirt, by the stench. God knows that Lazarus is clean, washed by the blood of Jesus. The eyes of God look at Lazarus and see a a beautiful bride adorned for the wedding day, clothed in white robes, perfect, holy, beautiful in his sight. God looks at Lazarus and knows that Lazarus has Moses and the prophets. He has the scriptures, and so because he has them, he has everything else. And God knows that because of the death and and resurrection of Jesus, that Lazarus on the last day will inherit the earth. That he'll sit on a throne with Jesus, ruling and reigning all things. So, the Holy Spirit holds up before us today the rich man and Lazarus. The one who had succeeded in winning the argument of his own worth and ended up in hell. And the one who had given up the argument in despair and clung only to God's word. And the Holy Spirit says to us today that you are brothers and sisters of Lazarus. That you are justified. Not not by your own argument, not by your own works, not by your own life, not by your own success. That you are justified by Jesus. That you are righteous and holy 
because of His blood. That you will stand on the last day, on the day of judgment, when all of us are mustered to stand before God's throne. That you will stand on that day, not with your own strength and not with your own power, but in the name of Jesus and on the word of God, as those whose sins are forgiven, on those who have not argued their own righteousness, but have clung to the righteousness of Christ, on those who hope not in themselves, but on the Lord's mercy, which knows no bounds, or no ends. And you, on that day, will be comforted. May God grant this to us. May He grant to us the humility and the faith of Lazarus to hear Moses and the prophets and to believe them. And believing to have life in His name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.